Sunny 16 presents. Welcome back to On Location, the show where we get to share with you audio blogs created by members of our community. This time out, John Michael Mendeza is sharing with you his thoughts and techniques for camera scanning, digitizing your film negatives using a camera. This has been both one of the most discussed things over the last few years, but is also still one of the most daunting techniques for a lot of people. Although these days there are so many different things out there to help make it easier, knowing where to start can still be tricky. So enjoy this dive into it with John Michael. Hello everybody, my name is John Michael, and today I want to talk a bit about using a digital camera for scanning your negatives. I think this is an idea that is pretty common now in the film community, but the basic idea is imagine holding up a negative to the window and taking a picture of it with your phone or your digital camera, and that's basically it. The digital scanning is only a slightly more refined method of holding your negative flat and controlling the light source and getting good focus on it and etc etc. One of the things I like about camera scanning is you can kind of scale it to suit your needs. You can make it as quick and dirty or as refined and controlled as you want it to be. And if you're not getting the results that you want, you can fine tune it yourself, uh, adjust some pieces and maybe get better results by either taking more time or investing in some new equipment, but you're not locked into one scanner that is basically a piece that you can't change. So it's uh, very easy to start simple with camera scanning and then scale it up as you need to. This podcast is going to be for people who are just getting started or thinking about getting started using their digital camera for scanning and also for people who are into it a bit but maybe want to improve their setup in some particular aspect and if you're doing uh, camera scanning and you're happy with your setup that's great maybe some of the things i'll say here will be useful for you and if not then maybe you can let me know all the things that i'm doing wrong i myself started camera scanning in 2018 when I got sick of trying to fight with my Canon 9000F2 scanner. The results that I got from it just weren't very good, and especially with the color images, I had a really hard time making an image that I was happy with. This was right about the same time that Negative Lab Pro released its first version software, and so the combination of that with my camera allowed me to invert the color negatives in a way that gave me nice images and I could control the color in a way that I was happy with. But we'll get into all that messy color stuff in a bit. So if you're thinking about getting into scanning your own negatives, however you want to do it, there are some considerations that you have to keep in mind. The thing that I really like about camera scanning is that you can use the equipment you already have, assuming you have some sort of digital camera. It's a very flexible system and because you kind of build it together based on your needs, it means that each of the components can be swapped out if you realize that it's not working for you or you want to streamline your process somehow. Just imagine buying a scanner and then realizing you want to have a higher resolution. You can't just change out the camera in the scanner. You got to get a whole new unit. With the camera scanning, each of the units is separate and controlled by you which means that you can update them independently and depending on your needs and what kind of quality you're looking for, you can spend more or less money getting the results that you want to have. You can kind of think of it as a sliding scale between ease of use, the quality of your results, and the time needed to get to those results. You don't have to spend a lot of money to get really good results but it might be much easier and quicker for you to get to those same results if you invest in some key pieces if you decide that this is something that you want to keep doing. But I would recommend that anybody starting out try and do as much as you can with the gear that you already have without going out and spending a bunch of money on anything. Get a feel for the process and see what pieces work well for you and what the pieces are that you think you might want to improve on. Having said all that, 
Let's go ahead and get into the pieces that are involved in a typical setup for camera scanning. I'm going to go through and talk in depth about each of these pieces, but we're going to work our way from the camera to the light source. You're going to need a camera of some sort. That camera is going to have to have a lens on it. Those two pieces will need to be on some sort of stand or holder to keep them at the right distance from your negative. The negative needs to be held flat somehow, and then behind the negative you need to have a light source. Those are basically the only pieces you need. A camera, a lens, a stand, some sort of negative holder, and a light source. Beginning with the camera, you can actually use your phone for this, and there are some apps that help you with the conversions and that sort of thing. There are also close-up lenses or lens attachments that you can attach to your phone to get you a bit better of a resolution, and the phone sensors are getting better all the time. That being said, I wouldn't necessarily recommend a phone if you have another option. I would go with some sort of an interchangeable lens camera if you have access to one. If you've got something like a digital bridge camera or maybe a point and shoot that's got a good sensor, then go ahead and give that a try. It's not something that I have experience with. I mostly use the Canon 80D, which is a crop sensor. I've also tried using the Sony Alpha 7 original with a full frame sensor, but I haven't noticed much of a difference in quality between those two sensors given the rest of the setup. One thing that is very convenient is to have something like a wireless remote or maybe a tethered setup or some modern cameras you can also hook up to your phone wirelessly and use your phone as kind of a trigger or a preview screen that can make things a bit easier when you're focusing on your negatives and tripping the shutter without having to reach up and wiggle the camera every time you want to take a picture So if we move down the line one step, the next piece is the lens. With lenses you can get into all kinds of different options and price points, but again, my advice is to start out with what you have. If you happen to have a macro lens already, great, go ahead and use that. If not, look into using either macro extension tubes or a reverse mount, also called a retro adapter for something like a 50 millimeter lens. You can flip the lens around and get quite close using the lens backwards. Another good option is using an enlarger lens for darkroom enlargers. These are designed to project light through the back of the lens, but you can also take a picture using them. You are going to need something like an adapter to screw them into your camera. Most of them are M39 screw mount, some are also M42 screw mount, so you'll have to look and see which adapter ring you need. And they don't have any kind of focusing helicoid built in, so you're either going to need to stack tubes and juggle your camera up and down to get into focus, or attach something like a helicoid to your setup so that you can actually focus that lens at the appropriate distance. Another similar lens that you can use is something called a flat field lens. This is a lens that was kind of designed for reproduction work. There's one from Vivitar. It's a 75mm 3.5 flat field lens. But again, like the enlarger lenses, there's no helicoid built in, and you're going to have to play with the distance between that and your sensor to get the focus to where you want it to be. The uh, extension tubes or reverse mount adapters are quite inexpensive. The projection lenses or enlarging, enlarging lenses can also be fairly reasonable. And I think the flat field lens I got for around 30 euros, so that's not too bad. If you want to take a step up in ease of use, then a dedicated macro lens is certainly the most convenient. You can focus from somewhere, I think, infinity to something like 20 or 30 centimeters depending on the lens that you use 
and you will be able to focus throughout that whole range quite easily and get your negative all lined up and in focus with the least amount of fussing with other pieces. But that does come at a price premium. Regardless of what lens you decide to go with, you're going to want to stop it down to its best aperture. Something between f8 and f11 seems to be good for most lenses, but do a little bit of experimenting and see what is best for the lens that you're using. At the moment, I'm using a dedicated macro lens, but before I got that one, I was using a 55 to 250 zoom lens with a macro ring, and that gave me the flexibility of adjusting the focus and the zoom and that made it really easy for me to get the negative framed up and in focus where I wanted it to be. It might not be the ultimate in image quality, but it was certainly convenient, and as you're shooting pretty stopped down, I didn't notice much of a difference between that and using a prime lens. Moving on to the next piece of the puzzle, something to hold your camera and lens in alignment with your negative. Most of us have a tripod sitting in the corner collecting dust, and this can certainly be a good option for getting started. Some of the fancier tripods have a center column that you can remove and mount at a different orientation. So you can either hang the camera under the tripod or kind of poking out the side. But even if your tripod doesn't have this option, if you kind of point the camera down between the legs and adjust them in a way that it's pointing down, you can get your camera oriented over your negative. It's a bit of a fuss and you need a kind of a big table if you're going to spread out your tripod legs wide enough to be able to hold it steadily. Or you can do it on the floor but this is of course not the most comfortable position to be digitizing your negatives in, and putting all of your negatives on the floor is maybe not the uh, best way of keeping dust off of them. The classical solution for this problem is called a copy stand. It's a flat base that your light source and negative will sit on, and then it's got a riser coming up out of one side, like an enlarger stand, some of them have uh, crank wheels so you can wind the camera up and down or some sort of clamp and you can slide it up and down. In any case, they have some sort of attachment so that you can mount your camera on it and it keeps the camera and your negative in good alignment. I've also heard about people using old enlargers as a basis for kind of a DIY copy stand or building their own using um, legs, like table legs that you can get at your hardware store attached to a board, and there's all kinds of clamps and sliders and that sort of thing that you can attach to it to uh, hold your camera up over the board. For me, there were two main things speaking against getting a copy stand. The first is they are ridiculously expensive you wouldn't think that just a little board and a riser would cost uh, two or three hundred euros, but that's what they cost. Uh, the other factor is space. You have to put this thing away somewhere, and I didn't want to just have a big copy stand sitting out all the time when I wasn't using it. When I was looking into solutions for getting away from the tripod, I wanted something that I could put away fairly easily and that wouldn't take up a lot of space either on my desk or on my workbench. And the idea I ended up going with was attaching a macro sliding rail. I actually attached that to the wall above my workbench. And so when I mount my camera on that, it basically is hanging from the wall above my workbench at a height where I can slide my negative under it. And the mount just sits there. Whenever I need to digitize some photos, I just clip my camera on there and I'm ready to go. It doesn't take up any space and the slider just sits there ready to use whenever I need it. All of these setups have been basically vertical, with the camera on top pointing down. You can of course also set up something where your camera is pointing horizontally at your film holder and light source. However you choose to do it, it is important that you try and align your negative with the sensor plane of your camera. If there's a slight tilt, then one side will be more in focus than the other, and your nice rectangular or square image will end up being trapezoidal. 
So to be sure that your sensor and your negative are aligned, put a little mirror, just a little makeup uh, pocket mirror or something like that, put it where your negative is gonna sit and be sure that it is as close to the same orientation as your negative is gonna be. Either put it on your light source or on your negative carrier, whatever works best for your setup. Now focus your lens on the mirror until the lens itself is in focus on the rear screen or in the viewfinder. And you'll notice that if the camera is slightly off alignment, then the lens won't be centered in the image. Go ahead and make some adjustments. You can tilt it up and down, whatever. You can adjust either the camera itself or you can adjust your lower section, so your light source or your negative holder, to be sure that that image of the lens itself is perfectly centered in the viewfinder or on the display. I like to use the guidelines on the display and then you can really get a good idea of if that lens is centered. Once that is centered, then you are pretty good with your lens alignment. I think there are some other ways that you can go through calibrating this and getting super picky about it, but this little mirror trick has worked well for me. If for whatever reason the mirror trick isn't going to work for you, then just try and be sure that, for example, on a 35mm frame, that all four lines around the edge of the frame are actually square in your image, and that you're not getting some sort of a trapezoid or distorted image on your back screen. So once you've got your camera mounted and pointed in the right direction, the next thing you can need is something to hold your negatives in place. I think the component of the negative holder is the piece that has gotten the most attention in the last few years. I've seen all kinds of pictures of people making their own negative holders using things like Legos or cut out of cardboard or um, just using little strips of plastic and gluing them together. So there's a lot of DIY solutions out there. A couple of repurposed ideas. One would be using the negative holders for a scanner. That's what I did when I started. And then some people also use the negative holders from an enlarger. That also works quite well. Whatever you end up going with, it should hold your negative as flat as possible without damaging the negative, and it should keep it parallel to the light source and your camera. Those are basically the two jobs that a negative carrier has to fulfill. Using the holders from my scanner worked out pretty well, but it was a real pain in the butt having to change the strip because it was only hold six 35 millimeter frames at a time. So for a roll of 36 shots, I had to change it six times. I'm now using a scanning holder that I can feed the whole roll through. So I get my rolls uncut and then just pull it through one shot, pull it a bit further, next shot. And that goes way quicker than fussing with loading and unloading the strips each time. If you don't have anything to hand, you can make your own negative carrier just by cutting some cardboard or maybe using a CD case and cutting out the middle of it. One thing to watch out for is you don't want to lay your negative directly on glass or plastic. Something called Newton rings will happen when light interference patterns build between the film and the glass if they're touching. So if you are laying your negative on something like glass or plastic, then just be aware. Sometimes you will see it looks almost like a, a water drop hitting a pond with little ripples springing out or like an oil film on water, kind of a rainbow effect. That's called Newton rings and they're a real pain in the butt to get rid of. So just my suggestion would be use a carrier that doesn't have glass or plastic for the film to lay directly on, but holds it around the edges of the frame. If you decide that you want to continue with camera scanning, then this might be one of the pieces you're going to want to purchase a dedicated item. There's a whole bunch on the market. I'm going to run down kind of a list of the ones that I'm aware of, 
and I will put links to these in the show notes so you can find them again. So the first one on my list is The Pixelator by Hamish Gill. This is a injected plastic um, frame. It can do 35 millimeter all the way up to 4x5, and you can also get some kind of custom printed pieces for frame slides and that sort of thing. Um, check out the pixelator.com and this product is I think around 40 pounds. Another item that's coming to market soon, I think it's still in its Kickstarter phase, but I'm not quite sure, is the Valoi, V-A-L-O-I. This is being made in conjunction with Camera Rescue in Finland. And from what I understand, it's kind of a modular system, offers 120 and 35 millimeter uh, options. And um, this one has the nice feature of an S-curve, which will help keep the uh, film very flat without actually touching the um, picture part of your frame. The one that I'm actually using at the moment is from a company called Abdi, Abdi Camera in Florida, I believe. I couldn't find his website anymore, but apparently you can still get his products over the Cat Labs website. This is a milled aluminum set of rails and then a little 35 millimeter or 120 piece will clip in between the rails and you can feed your film through it. Another option is called the Essential Film Holder. This is kind of a sandwich of different plexiglass pieces with the cutouts for the appropriate sized frame. And I think it also has some kind of adjustable feet so that you can lift the film holder up off of the light source a bit. Negative Supply offers kind of the creme de la creme of high quality negative carriers. I think they all have rollers and little knobs for advancing the film and keep it all perfectly flat and it's all fancy and shiny, um, but they are quite pricey. And then there's the Camerodactyl Mongoose, which is the motorized automatic um, 35 millimeter film holder. This one is done by Ethan Moses and will automatically advance and align and trigger your camera. So it's kind of a you just feed in the film and hit go and it'll do the rest for you. Also a bit more expensive. And I think it's only really makes sense if you do quite a bit of 35 millimeter film. I briefly thought about getting it, but I shoot a couple rolls of 35 a month and it just doesn't make sense for me to get a, a mongoose for that small amount of film. One last option for cut um, film. They have a 120 and a 35 millimeter version is the Digitalizer from Lomography. And this one uses magnets to lock your negative in place and hold it nice and flat. Um, but as I said, it's only for cut film, if I remember correctly. So you can't feed your whole roll through it like with the other holders. Whichever holder you end up going with, it's always good if you get a little bit of distance between your light source and your negatives. Just in case there is a little speck of dust or maybe a scratch on your light source, then the depth of field will eliminate that if it's separated a bit from the negative. You can lay your film directly on the light source, but then you want to be extra careful that it's nice and clean and there's no scratches on your light when you're doing that. Speaking of light, we've reached the bottom of our stack and the thing on the bottom is the light source. You can use the sun as a light source. If you've got a nice bright window or something like that, you can certainly hold up your negatives against it. Or if you use a negative holder like the Pixelator, it actually has little feet so you can adjust it um, to stand up with your negative and you can put it, either put it in a window or in a bright spot and take a picture of it that way. One of the downsides with using the sun is that it's a bit uh, unpredictable, unreliable, and of course it doesn't work at night. So you're going to have a hard time getting consistent results if you're using the sun. When you're looking for a light source, there are a couple of things to keep in mind. 
The first thing is that it needs to be a nice, soft, diffuse, and even light source. So you're getting an even amount of light on all of your negative. The other thing you have to watch out for is the color spectrum of your light source. For black and white, this isn't so important because you're going to be desaturating it anyways. But for color images, the light that is shining through your negative needs to be as full spectrum as possible meaning that all the shades or all the wavelengths of light should be coming through so that you get the most accurate color reproduction. Um, LEDs tend to not quite cover all of this uh, spectrum, so it can be that you're not getting quite as accurate color information with your slides or your color negatives. A common measurement for this is called the CRI, it's the Color Rendering Index, and this is a value that goes up to 100. Usually you want something between 95 and 100 to give you fairly accurate and complete spectrum coverage. You can use something like an iPad or even an iPhone as a light source, but you want to be sure that you put something in between it or you get enough distance behind it so that you're not seeing those little pixels through your image. You can also use something like a video light. These often have LEDs, so you want to be sure that the LEDs are diffused enough that you're not getting a whole bunch of bright spots on your negatives. One of the common solutions is an LED tracing pad. These are made for illustrators to kind of trace through their drawings, and they're usually around the size of a sheet of paper, relatively thin, uh, USB powered, and somewhat bright. It's a very practical solution. They're not very expensive and easily available online. I think you can get one for as little as 10 euros, dollars, something like that. It's not that bright, so you're going to have longer shutter speeds, something like a quarter of a second, tenth of a second, somewhere in that ballpark, depending on how far you stop your lens down. So you want to be sure that you're not getting any camera shake during that time. A slightly brighter solution is something uh, like a video light. The Relano video light is a bit smaller than the tracing pad, but puts out a bit more light and is supposed to be pretty good from the color rating and also the light output. I haven't personally tried that, so I'm not sure what kind of shutter speeds you're going to get with that. With continuous lighting and especially lower power lighting, you have to watch out for other light sources bouncing off your negative and creating kind of a flare in your scanned image. If you have it set up on a desk, for example, and there's a window open or maybe a, a lamp hanging above it, there's a good chance that that will reflect off of your negative and uh, show up on your scan. To avoid this, you can make kind of a, a black tube that goes from your lens down to cover your negative holder, or you can just do your scanning in a dark room. Just be sure that there's no other light falling on your negative when you're doing your scanning. An easy way to check this is to turn off your light source and take an image and just look at the histogram and see if there's any light showing up on your sensor. If it's perfectly black, then you should be good to go. Switch on your light source and just go ahead with scanning. For quite a while, I was using the LED light tracing pad that worked fine. But recently I've switched to another option, which is in my opinion the best for camera scanning, and that is to use flash to illuminate your negatives. Flash has a few advantages. The first one being that you're using very short shutter speeds, so you can bump up your camera to its flash sync speed. In my case, that's a 250th of a second. With that high shutter speed, you eliminate the chance of getting reflections from other sources and don't have to worry so much about doing it in a dark room or shading all possible light coming in. And it also removes the chance of camera shake from a longer exposure time. Another advantage is that the color of light coming from a flash is pretty good, depending of course on the flash itself but even the inexpensive speed lights uh, produce pretty close to daylight quality light and pretty consistently. So that will give you nice results for your color images.
The only downside of using flash is that you have to kind of set it up with a modeling light almost so that you can focus and see your negative, get it framed up. And that modeling light has to be dim enough that it gets overpowered by the flash when it goes off so it's not adding to your exposure. I used an old iPad box as kind of a base, cut a hole in the top for a little diffuser to go on, and put the flash in the base of it so that that shoots in from the side and bounces off some paper to kind of reflect up through the diffuser, and that works out quite well. I put a little LED light in there that I can switch on and off when I'm not using it, and it doesn't affect my exposure. So I've got my little modeling light for the the negatives can get it all framed up and then I just fire the flash with its remote trigger. If you managed to listen to this much of the podcast, then congratulations. We've made it to the end of talking about all the different pieces of the setup. I'm going to go through and talk quickly about setting up everything and just kind of some tips and tricks and my experience with getting everything set up the way you want it to be. I set my camera to manual mode and raw. I set the white balance. Usually I take a custom white balance from whatever my light source is. So when I'm working from the LED panel, I do that. When I do it with the flash, I'm going to set it to flash mode. For black and white, you can just take a test shot and kind of adjust it to what looks good. It's easy enough with black and white when you get it into your software that you just take a white balance from basically any point on the black and white negative, and you should be good to go with that. Aperture, as I mentioned with the lens, should be the best aperture for that particular lens. I think common wisdom is between f8 and f11 is good for most lenses and just give it a try and see what gives you the best results. I like to set my camera to either two second uh, delay with the exposure or if I'm using a remote or an app then I will set it to that and not worry about having a delay because I'm not touching the camera to release the shutter. One other kind of handy camera setting is um, because your camera should be pointed more or less straight down, assuming you've got a vertical setup, um, the camera sometimes thinks it's upside down or sideways. And so if you have the auto rotate setting on your pictures set, then when you get it into your computer, sometimes all the frames will be kind of randomly aligned. Um, you know, upside down, sideways, left or right. So on my camera, I just switched off that function for um, rotating the picture. On the Canon camera, you can set it to, um, I think, automatically rotate in camera, depending on which direction you turn it. But then when you export it to the computer, it just stays um, with the bottom of the camera is then the bottom of the picture. And I find that uh, kind of convenient when you're doing camera scanning. I have all these settings saved to one of my custom shooting modes on my camera so that I don't have to go through and adjust it all each time I want to scan some film. And then it doesn't get in my way when I'm using my camera for normal photography either. Once you've got your lens and your camera set up, it can be helpful to take a measurement of how high your camera needs to be above the film for a given negative size so that you can easily set it up next time. On my wall mount, I've got some little markings of how high I need to set it for 35 and for medium format film, just so that I can kind of quickly adjust it to that when I've got a negative and I don't have to always be searching for it. When you're adjusting for focus and height, then it's kind of a dance between pulling focus and adjusting the height on your negative. The magnification will vary quite a bit depending on the height and the focus, so you might have to end up moving the camera and adjusting the focus a few times to get it framed up the way you want it to be. For preparing the negative, I always like to give it a nice blow off with a little air blower, and sometimes if it's an especially dirty one, I will wipe it off with a microfiber cloth or use some negative cleaner on it. I also find that a lens pin brush works well for getting some of the dust loosened up and then I hit it again with the blower just to get rid of it. 
And don't forget to blow off both sides of the film and your light source before you start digitizing. One other little detail, especially for black and white film, is you want to set it up in your negative holder so that the emulsion side of the film, that is the side that is a bit duller and you can kind of see some structure on, you want that side to be facing your lens. This gives you a slightly better image and you just have to remember to flip it in software before you finish converting it to a positive image. As far as I can tell, with color negative film or slide film, you don't have to worry about doing this because the image is basically inside the film layers anyways, so it doesn't seem to make a difference if you photograph it from the top or the bottom of the negative, and then it just saves you a step to photograph it the right way up, then you don't have to worry about flipping it around in software. As far as exposure goes, I take a test shot and then keep taking exposures, looking at the histogram and the little blinking indicators for highlights. And I keep uh, brightening up the exposure until it starts clipping the highlights. Once I find that point where the highlights start to blow out, then I just back it up a third or a half a stop. So I'm just under that. You can always recover shadows pretty well from the digital sensors, but your clipped highlights are going to be gone. So getting it just below clipping gives you the best uh, amount of detail you can get. Oh, focus. I forgot to talk about focus. So when you're focusing on your negative, what I like to do is I zoom in to a point on the negative that I find to be pretty sharp, or at least has some good contrast. I find that easier to focus on. And then you zoom in. I use the back screen of the camera. I also tried doing it with a, uh, a tethered setup using a laptop, but that was just too much trouble. So uh, it works fine using the back screen of my camera. You just zoom in as far as you can and focus up and down until you get a nice clear image of the grain. If you're using a modern lens, then it's going to be wide open anyways, so this will give you the most uh, light coming through and the least depth of field. Once it stops down then for the exposure, then you're going to get more depth of field, so you'll be safer with that. If you're using an older lens that doesn't have an automatic aperture, then you can either try focusing with it stopped down, but it should be more accurate if you open it up again. Uh, open it up for focusing and then stop it down when you start taking your exposures. I've started using the autofocus recently to focus between shots. When you're in live view mode, my Canon camera uses the dual pixel autofocus and I haven't been able to tell a difference between my manual focusing and what the camera thinks is in focus. So I'm going to be using that from now on. The only thing is from time to time you'll get a frame where the autofocus point on the camera um, happens to be on a patch of sky or something that doesn't have any details in it and then it doesn't really know what to focus on so it, it won't focus and it won't fire the shutter so you just have to move the focus point then to something where there's a bit of contrast for it to latch on to. Okay so now that you've remembered to focus your camera between pictures then you can just go ahead and take a shot advance the film to the next frame. I like to give it a little blow off with the um, rocket blower before taking a picture. I find that even though I blow off the whole roll with the rocket blower before I start, there's always a little bit of dust that tends to settle on it while I'm in between frames. So I always like to give it a little blow with the rocket blower before I take a picture of that particular frame. And because I'm kind of picking it up and blowing underneath it, then I also refocus on each negative before taking the shot. It sounds complicated, but it goes pretty quick, even if you're doing all those steps. When I get to the end of the roll, then I cut it and put it in sleeves, put it in a binder, it gets tagged and labeled with the roll number and all the other information that I write on it. And then while I'm doing that, I take out the SD card from my camera and start importing the pictures onto the computer to go to the next step. So 
So congratulations, you have successfully digitized some images. And now you're looking at your beautiful negative scans on your computer. And this is the point where things start to kind of go in different directions, depending on what kind of film you're using. So in this next section, I'm going to kind of break it up into three different areas and talk about black and white film, color film, and slide film. I personally use Lightroom and Photoshop, but of course you can use whatever works for you. Just know that when I say Photoshop or Lightroom, uh, insert your editing software of choice in this space. Slide film is on the one hand the easiest because it's already a positive image and it's already facing the right direction. So you don't have to do any adjustments for that. I do however find that slide film sometimes looks a bit wonky. Um, part of it is the contrast and part of it is the color that it doesn't quite match uh, what I'm seeing on the light table. But usually uh, just a few minor adjustments in Lightroom, usually just kind of changing the color, sometimes changing the color temperature, sometimes adjusting the white balance gets it to where I want it to be. But I've only done a couple of rolls of slide film, so I'm definitely not an expert on that. So next up is black and white. And this one I find to be the easiest. There are a few more steps involved, but it's the easiest to get to a nice uh, result. So I'm going to go through two processes here. What I like to do is bring all of my negatives into Lightroom. And then what I like to do is to add my camera information and film information into the metadata as soon as I bring it in. And I also rename the photos using the custom rename feature so that I know which roll, which camera, and the exposure number. And that's already baked in before I do any converting or anything. And then I like to go through and rotate the images so they're all facing the right direction. Then go to the photo menu and flip them horizontally so that they're facing the right direction. And now here to actually invert them, you've got a couple of options. Uh, Lightroom doesn't have just an invert button, which is kind of annoying, but there's a couple of workarounds you can do that. One is to go to the curves adjustment and invert the curve. So normally you've got a diagonal line going from the bottom left corner to the top right corner. And you just switch that around so that it's going from the top left to the bottom right corner, then you will have inverted the image. You can still uh, mess around with your sliders and make further adjustments, but they're going to be backwards. So be aware of that. Another option is to open them in Photoshop, invert them, and then save them out again. What I've done is set up an action to open the image, invert it, and also desaturate it to get rid of any kind of color cast that might still be left in it, and then save it to the same folder. And once you've set up an action, then you can run that as a batch job so you can invert all of the photos that you've just imported kind of at once using Photoshop's um, automate feature. Go ahead and look online for instructions on how to do this if you're not familiar with it. It's a cool feature that allows you to do the same action to a bunch of photos fairly simply. Once you've got a positive image, it is completely up to you how much or little modification you want to do to that. And you can just uh, play with that and see what works for you. I usually like to do a little bit of dust removal and maybe adjust the white and black points a little bit to get an image that I am happy with and either um, crop out the frame lines completely or even them up a bit in case I didn't get them framed correctly in camera so that if I'm shooting with the border, I've got kind of an even amount of border all the way around the image and not a, a wonky border going off to one side. One thing that can also be helpful is to use the transform tools in Lightroom and I use the guided transform and snap the lines along the edges of the border just to get a nice uh, square image. Sometimes they are a bit curved or out of whack, especially if you're stacking images, but I'll get into that in just a minute. But first I wanna talk a little bit about the third type of film, color print film or color negative film. This is the film that causes the most headaches and gray hairs when it comes to converting them from a negative into a positive image. 
color print film was designed to be projected onto a paper. And to do that, there was a certain orange mask that is kind of integrated into the film. And this, in combination with projecting it or uh, developing it onto a paper, um, that would negate the orange mask and get you a nice clean image. As we're not projecting it and there's no chemical process going into it, then we're capturing that orange mask with the image. So if you just go ahead and invert it like you would a normal negative, uh, a black and white negative rather, you're going to end up with kind of a horrible blue, ugly looking image. And this is one of the things that scanners and scanner softwares do very well is to get rid of that orange mask and get you a nice uh, positive image. If you do an online search for converting film negatives to positives in your software of choice, you will come up with a lot of tutorials and uh, a lot of different tutorials on how to do it. Um, I've tried several using Photoshop. It's quite involved and you kind of go step by step, adjusting curves and white balances and uh, inverting and all kinds of stuff. And you can get some very nice results with them, but it's a very hands-on and uh, in-depth process. And it was not a simple and fast, convenient option for me. More recently, I've seen a couple of other tutorials that uh, seem much simpler than the ones that I were going through. And I will link one video that I saw uh, that looks quite appealing, but I haven't tried it myself. This is also using Photoshop. So maybe that's an option for people getting into it this way. Another option is to actually import your camera scan into your scanning software. I don't know if this is possible with all softwares, but I know with ViewScan, that's an open source software, you can actually import a TIFF into that and then try and use that to invert the mask. I tried this once with some of my first images and it was a bit of a fuss, so I gave up on that pretty quickly. But it is possible, at least in ViewScan, and I think in the other uh, popular scanning softwares it's also possible. The reason I didn't spend a whole lot of time with the manual conversion or trying to do it in the scanner software is that there's been quite a bit of development the past few years in um, standalone apps or plugins for other editing softwares specially designed for inverting color negatives. The software that I use is a plugin for Lightroom called Negative Lab Pro and you can check it out on their website. It offers a free trial so you can convert some images and see what you think about it. Definitely be sure you watch the instructional videos and read through it because it is kind of a finicky process. You have to be sure you take a white balance from the orange mask and crop your image so you're not getting too much of the film rebate or the edge of the film kind of confusing the algorithm as to what the colors are supposed to be. But once you get the hang of it and you set up the shortcut key, it's very easy to convert a negative. And then you can also just convert one and let it sync the rest of your roll. So if you've got a bunch of similar images, you don't have to let it analyze each image. And it's a great way to quickly convert your whole roll and at least get a rough conversion to take a look at. And then once you pick the pictures that you really want to work on, you can go back in and make some specific adjustments for those frames. Some of the other software that I've heard about but haven't used myself, one is a plugin for Photoshop. It's called Grain to Pixel. And this is a open source software. As I said, it's a plugin for Photoshop that is supposed to also give great results. I haven't tried it yet because I really like the feature in Negative Lab Pro that you can do the whole roll kind of at once. Another set of, I think they're presets, or it's also a plug-in, is called NegMaster, or it's NegSets. From what I can see, there's two different products. There's one called NegSets, which is for Lightroom, and then there's a NegMaster for Photoshop, and check out their website if that's something that's interesting for you. There's also the Film Lab app which is available on your phone or iPad as a standalone app. And I believe you can also now, with the premium version, import your camera scans directly into the app or do it on the desktop. 
I think in the earlier versions you could only do it with your phone and only with the um, captures from your phone. For those of you who like open source software, there's one called Raw Therapy, which is a raw editor that is apparently open source, and it has some sort of a module or a setting for converting negatives. And then for the open source Lightroom alternative, which is called Darktable, there is a module in that called Nega Doctor for Darktable, which is also specially designed for converting color negatives. And you can check those out if you're into the open source software. I recommend uh, Negative Lab Pro. I'm quite happy with it. It gives you a lot of control over the negative, and this is a good thing and a challenge. Um, the good thing is, is that if you end up with an image that's too green and you know you need to get less green, then it's easy enough to correct for that. The challenge is, is that when you kind of go through the different options, you start wondering, okay, what is this supposed to look like? What is the true look of this negative? What does Portra 400 look like? And I myself, I don't have the experience to say, okay, this, this image, this is a Portra image, or this is a Ektar image or whatever. I just heard the perfect name for this on the I Dream of Cameras podcast. They call it the Scannenberg Uncertainty Principle. I find that a great description for this kind of phenomenon. <laughs> My solution to this is I play with it until it looks good, and I'm happy with that. But I also have gotten some of my films scanned at a lab, and um, I use the, the scans from the lab as a comparison to get me kind of an idea of, is this edit or is this conversion that I'm doing on my negative more or less true to at least what I'm getting from my lab scans? With portraits, it's a bit easier because you can get the skin tone looking natural or looking like your model. That kind of gives you a base to work from. The last time I edited some negatives, I wasn't quite sure. And so I went ahead and had my lab scan them as well. And uh, then I could compare the scans. And I wasn't too far off. But I must say, I liked the conversions that I did better than what I got back from the lab. So that just kind of uh, confirmed my opinion of... Do it until it looks good and right to you, and then don't worry too much if that is the perfect, true color of that film. I think I've covered quite a bit of information so far, but there's a couple of other little tips and tricks I want to at least touch on before we wrap this up. Right at the beginning, I alluded to stacking images to increase your resolution. And this can be done in a number of different ways, but basically the concept is instead of taking one exposure of your whole negative frame, you take multiple shots, moving your camera or your negative in between shots, and then stacking or stitching those images together to create one big kind of gigapixel master negative image. I find the easiest way to do this is to slide my negative holder back and forth under my camera. So I leave the camera stationary and I just move the negative holder in the appropriate direction. For 35 millimeter film, I don't bother with stacking for the most part. Um, I have done it a few times on images that I want to just try it with and see if I can get a bit more detail out of, but I use a 24 megapixel camera and one shot for a 35 millimeter image seems to be plenty for me. If you get any more detail into it, then you start getting lots of grain and then you've got a super high resolution image of a bunch of little grain crystals and yay for that, but I don't need that uh, large image filling up my hard drives any more than necessary. The other great thing is that if you really need that super high resolution scan, then pull out that one negative that you want to scan and do whatever you need to with it. I would not recommend doing multiple uh, stacking for your 35 millimeter film unless you really know that you need it. And if that's the case, then you're probably not uh, listening to this podcast anyways. Where I do 
stitch my images on a regular basis is when it's medium format film. What I like to do is fill my digital sensor with the width of the 6x6 frame and then slide it down and take a second picture. So I stack two images together to kind of maximize the sensor area and uh, get the best out of that 6x6 negative. With uh, 6x7 images, I will either do it the same way or sometimes I'll do a third image in the middle just to make sure I've got enough overlap for it to stack well. I've gotten the best results using the photo merge function in Lightroom. Select the files that you want to merge and either right click on them and go to photo merge and then panorama or just hit control M and the panorama option will pop up. I usually suggest, uh, select the perspective um, option and then just hit OK and I find that that stitches them together quite well. Although sometimes it will get a bit confused with the edges or the frames and then I have to pull up the um, transform tool again and do a guided transform to get it nice and square on all sides again. Another option is to open up the multiple files as layers in Photoshop by again selecting the two or three images, right clicking and going to edit in and then down at the bottom there's an option that is edit as layers in Photoshop and this will open up the selected files all in one Photoshop file but as layers and then you can go to the auto align function or the panorama function which basically does the same thing as it does in Lightroom but again with negative lab pro I like to do it all in Lightroom so I've got a nice uh, DNG file still a raw negative in Lightroom of the two stitched together and then I can do my color conversion or uh, inversion directly in Lightroom from that. Another little trick is dusting with software. You can of course go in with your clone tool, your spot healing brush and get rid of dust one piece at a time. But if you've got a negative with some dust on it and you you can blow it off, but then there's always still one other little piece of dust that either moves or it doesn't completely leave the negative and it just kind of hops around and keeps annoying you. What you can do is you can actually then stack two scans on top of each other and you go into the smart objects options in Photoshop, convert it to a smart object, and then set the layer blend mode to either maximum or minimum, depending on if you're working on the negative or the positive. So if you're looking at a positive image and you've got a nice white dust spot on there, if on the other image you stacked on top of that, the dust is moved over a few pixels and you set it to take the minimum, it will look at those two images and say, ah, okay, this, uh, these pixels are white and these pixels have some information in them. Let's take the pixels with some information in them. So you can really eliminate dust quite well using this technique. As I said, though, it has to move. So you have to take a picture of your negative and then blow it off or brush it, whatever you do, and then uh, stack it and kind of use those two images to counteract each other. I did try doing this in combination with stacking for higher resolution, but due to the panorama merge, it does that slightly different for each set of images, so it gets a bit confusing and it doesn't line up quite right. I was not yet able to get a good clean high res scan with this dusting trick, but I just started dusting my negatives more thoroughly before going through the scanning process and haven't really had a need for this trick in quite a while. I think I've covered quite a bit here and hopefully I haven't missed anything important or obvious. This has all just been my experience and the things that I think are important or helpful. So I hope it's a, a good reference for people getting started or maybe looking to improve on their setups and hopefully it will help out. For some more online resources besides YouTube, Hamish Gill has set up some um, guides and kind of user-generated tutorials and that sort of thing on his Pixelator website. There's a lot of good information there about different setups and using softwares and that sort of thing. There's also some information on the Negative Lab Pro 
website, although that tends to focus more on the Negative Lab Pro software itself, logically. And if you want to geek out over nitty-gritty details, check out the Digitizing Film with a Digital Camera Facebook group. They really get into the finest points of all this sort of stuff. And if you have any questions that I might be able to answer, I'm quite happy to help out. So send me a message either over Instagram, JM Mendiza on Instagram, or you can contact me through my website, www.jmm-photos.com, and I'd be happy to help out if I can. The intro music is by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, and the transition music is from Negative Positive's own Mike Gutterman. Check him out on Bandcamp. That's it for me. Everybody have a wonderful summer, and good luck scanning your negatives. Bye-bye. Thank you.